Thanks very much, Anna. Um, well, do open up your Bible, if you've got one with you, uh, back to Psalm 48. Um, as I said, we, uh, we, uh, we spoke or we looked at Psalm 46 and 47 together right at the start of the new year, um, and we're going to pick up the next psalm um, together this morning, so it'll be helpful to have that open in front of you. Um, we are, I think, um, at least most of us, naturally pretty forgetful people. I don't know if that, you think that stands for you. Uh, I hope I'm not the, the only one um, to ever find themselves going into another room, only to stop and go, why was I here again? Um, and now this week, there's been this strange yellow thing in the sky. Has anybody seen that? So it's been, it's been strange. Um, it's meant I've often found myself looking around, where did I leave... Where did I leave my sunglasses? Oh, particularly uh, Naomi's sunglasses. She, uh, this week, wouldn't leave the house pretty much without her pink heart sunglasses. Did I know where they were? Often not. But of course, we aren't just forgetful about the little things in life. Uh, what, we are, uh, what we are doing, what we've, where we've left something, we're often also forgetful about the bigger things, aren't we? In amongst the busyness of life, we forget the many good things that are around us that we have to enjoy. We can forget to stop and appreciate the people, the family, the friends around us. As we head into another stressful week or another stressful situation, we forget how in the past we've been in similar situations and how God has been with us and helped us. We just generally forget, don't we, so many of the bigger things in life. And of course, there is nothing that we regularly forget that is bigger than forgetting about God and forgetting all that He is and all that He has done for us and all that He continues to do for us. And yet that is what we so regularly do, isn't it? And this is where I think our psalm for this morning I hope and pray, will speak a really helpful reminder to us. A reminder as it brings to mind again who our unchanging God is and all that he has done. And it's going to give us reasons that we can then purposefully remember and hold on to this week, reasons to keep looking to God and praising him. No matter what the week ahead looks like, no matter what news we might receive, no matter what our family or colleagues will say to us, no matter whether our hard work goes appreciated or not, no matter what. Psalm 103 verse 2 says this, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And in some ways, I think Psalm 48 here this morning that we're looking at says the same to us. It says, come, forget not our God. Let's praise him together because we have so much reason to praise him for all that he is, all that he's done, all that he's still doing. Just look at how the psalmist begins in verse 1. Read with me. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. This is the starting point for the psalmist. This is what he is purposefully remembering, calling to mind the greatness of the Lord. And that because of that greatness, he is greatly to be praised. 
As I've already said, we would do well, wouldn't we, to stop and remember this every single day. Because it's something what we forget. Our Lord is great, and he is greatly to be praised. Who our Lord is, who our great God is, gives us so many reasons to praise. He's powerful, he's wise, he's just. The list could go on, couldn't it? We have a great God and we must regularly look to him purposefully and praise him. And where from verse 1 is that praise to be found? Well, particularly here in the city of our God. Of course it is. Where else is there to be more praise than in the city of God where his people gather together? As we'll go on to see, it's towards his people that God gives so many reasons to praise him in how he acts towards us. Here, as the psalmist opens in verse 1, you can hear his call, can't you? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. So come, come and praise him with him. Let's praise him together. Come, praise our great God. And of course, this is what we look to do every single week as we gather here at Great Vic, isn't it? To gather as God's people and remember the greatness of our God. To praise him together, whether that's through our prayers, voiced or even just expressed internally. Whether that's through our singing. Whether that's just even in our conversations with each other. Where is Jerusalem, the city of God, most on show today? In the church in God's people, where we, as God's people, gather as a redeemed people and rejoice together. Rejoice in our God, just as in the past in Jerusalem, so now today. There is special reason to praise God as we gather together at at our church here because of how he's acted towards us. So as we meet here, let's not forget this. We're not here simply this morning, and we don't come every single week just for a little bit of chit-chat, a nice sing-song, maybe just a general catch-up. No, we come with a great purpose, a great purpose to come and praise our God together because he is great. And the psalmist then goes on, I think, now in the rest of the psalm to give us reason to do that. He's going to give us three great reasons then for us to praise our great God. And the first of these is found in verse 2. That in our God, we, as his people, find joy. Read the end of verse 1 and 2 with me now. It says, His holy mountain, beautiful in elevation, is the joy of all the earth. Mount Zion in the far north, the city of the great king. Now, if you look closely with me at that verse we just read, you might notice something interesting here. In verse 2, it seems to be Mount Zion, the holy mountain, the city of Jerusalem that's the focus of the joy here. That's what seems to be there, doesn't it? The imagery kind of reflects that of a pilgrim, one on his way to Jerusalem, coming from whatever surrounding city. And we kind of can see this pilgrim as they approach the city, they look up which is what they would have done. This is why elevated. He would have seen the city. 
and he would have rejoiced. As this pilgrim looks at the city, it appears to him beautiful in its elevation, in its loftiness, and joy fills his heart. Yes, this is where I am going to, and it is good. Surely, the pilgrim would say, this must be the joy of all joys, the joy of all the earth. As the psalmist writes, nowhere compares to this. And yet, physically, in some senses, there are more impressive mountains out there, more impressive views to look at if you search out to the ends of the earth than Jerusalem. So what is the psalmist getting at? Well, we see from his careful wording that there is a much deeper reason for joy, for his rejoicing in view here, than just the physical beauty of the city. See, as he begins and ends his description, it isn't the city itself in view, but the one whose city this is. Look at verse 1 with me. He begins, His holy mountain. Why is this mountain beautiful? It is beautiful because it is the place where God is. It is His city, where He has chosen to dwell in a special way. And we see at the end, at the end of verse 2, if you look with me, the psalmist writes, The city of the great King. This is the city where God reigns, where God is. And this is why the pilgrim's heart sings out like this, with joy as he approaches Jerusalem, because he is coming to be with his God. The view of a city, of an impressive vista, wherever that might be, can rightly bring joy to our hearts as we enjoy the beauty of the world around us that God has created. But it is only in God himself, that we can find the deepest joy around. Joy that blows all of those other joys out of the water. The pilgrim rejoices in Mount Zion, in Jerusalem, because of God's presence there with his people. Above all, his presence there in the temple. But of course, we know, don't we, that that temple pointed forward to another temple the true temple of Jesus Christ. As Jesus, God incarnate, dwelt amongst us here on earth. And what is it that the angels announced when Jesus came to earth to the shepherds in Luke chapter 2? Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. This is the working out of Psalm 48, verse 2, isn't it? Jerusalem, as the place where God dwelt, really was the joy of all the earth. But we see there's so much more in Jesus, don't we? He is the joy of all the earth. And because of that, because of Christ's coming and his presence now within those who trust in him through the Holy Spirit, we can also then speak of how the church today remains a place where the joy is on show for the whole earth. Not because of the physical, natural beauty of the people of the church, but because amongst us God is dwelling. He is here with us as his people. He has called us then also to show that joy to the world, to point others 
to him. Joy found in God. What is that joy that we can know in our God? Well, first, it's the joy that we can know God. We can know God. The joy that we are right with him this morning, if we are in Christ. No longer do we have to go through the continual sacrifices of the temple in Jerusalem. But now we can approach God through the once and for all sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ, whose death tore the curtain in two, didn't it? Tore it so that we can now come to our God freely, come into his presence, come with joy, just as we are secure on the rock of Christ. And then from that we can enjoy and rejoice in being in the presence of God. Rejoicing in his power, his wisdom, his mercy, his justice. Not just as glorious characteristics that we can kind of look on from from afar and say, isn't that wonderful that there is a God like that? No, we can say those are characteristics of my God. Those are characteristics of our God. In our God, we, God's people, find joy. So let's regularly and purposefully in our lives come to him, praise him, saying great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. But that's of course not all the reason to say that together this morning. As the psalmist goes on to declare now in verses 3 to 8, reminding us to come and praise our great God because in him we, God's people, are secure. Read with me as we look at these verses together from verse 3. Within her citadels, God has made himself known as a fortress. For behold, the kings assembled, they came on together. As soon as they saw it, they were astounded. They were in panic. They took to flight. Trembling took hold of them there. Anguish as of a woman in labor. By the east wind you shattered the ships of Tarshish. As we have heard, so we have seen in the city of the Lord of hosts, in the city of our God, which God will establish forever. These verses here seem to be particularly recounting a specific deliverance. Quite possibly the same deliverance from the Assyrian invasion and Sennacherib that Psalms 46 and 47 seem to be referring to, if you were with us as we looked at those early in the new year. Do you remember what happened in that deliverance? As it's recounted to us in in 2 Kings chapters 18 and 19, this vast and mighty Assyrian army comes marching towards Jerusalem. Sennacherib, the king and his commanders, they taunt God's people. say, your God, he won't be able to save you from our hand. Who is your God? And yet, that's exactly what happens. As we read there that the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. What response must that have led to? Well, verse 5 as a very literal translation puts it, so bluntly and clearly, they saw it, they were astounded, they were overwhelmed, 
they fled in panic. No wonder this is the conclusion of verse 3. Within the citadels of Jerusalem, God has made himself known as a fortress. Again, do you see that while Zion and Jerusalem are spoken of here, it is God again who's the focus, isn't it? From verse 3, it isn't the actual walls of Jerusalem and its good position on that high ground that makes it so secure. No, it's that God is there and God is protecting it. He's protecting his people. It's God, isn't it, who causes those who come against him and his people to leave, as verse 6 puts it, trembling in anguish like that of a woman in labor. And it is God who, as verse 7 pictures it, blows a wind It's kind of amusing, isn't it? This powerful army of ships coming, God blows it, and it's scattered. God will protect his people. And the psalmist reflects, doesn't he, on the unchanging nature of this protection in verse 8. See, he'd heard about it, hadn't he? He'd heard about it in the past, just as he's heard from those before him, so he now sees with his very own eyes. In this particular deliverance, God protects his people. And the point is this, we need to remember and not forget this, that this is just who God is. This is his character. This is how he acts with respect to his people. Remember, our God is unchanging. And so we can be sure that he is exactly the same today as he always has been. Verse 8 concludes that if this is who God is, we can be sure he will establish his city forever. Which, of course, if we think of the specific city of Jerusalem, is problematic, isn't it? We know that it did one day fall to the Babylonians. And yet this declaration remains true. Because even in the Old Testament, we are told that the people would be brought back and restored. And we see that in part, but of course we see that in full, don't we, through the Lord Jesus Christ. As he comes and as he gathers a holy city, the spiritual Jerusalem, the church to himself. A place where God will dwell among his people. And we can be sure then that this promise here of God's protection, of the security he offers his people is one that we can lean on today to find help and strength. Just as God scattered Sennacherib and the Assyrian army, so he today will scatter those who come against his people, who come against his church. This, I think, is an encouragement that we absolutely need to hear in this day, don't we? And it gives us reason to praise God. See, right from the start, we've seen um, recently, even in the book of Acts, the devil has been working to try to attack the church. And the reality is that that continues today, whether that's through persecution, whether that's through uh, cultural pressure exerted on Christians, whether that's through corruption or division within the church, whether that's through distraction... Today, whatever the way, we know this, has been, this is still the case. The devil is looking to attack the church. And yet, as it seems, 
that in, like in verse 4, all of the mightiest kings and armies assemble against God's people. This psalm reminds us that we can still have confidence and hope. Because as those kings come against God's people, the church, come against us, well, we are under the protection of the great king. The great king. Our God, verse 3, a fortress who will always protect, always defend his people, who will never allow the ultimate fall or ruin of the church, no matter how shaken it may be. Verse 8, as we have heard, so we have seen. And don't we have 2,000 years of church history to add to the psalmist's reflection here on the unchanging nature of God? that he makes his people secure and he will establish his city forever. By all worldly accounts, the church right now should be dead and gone with the attacks that it's faced. And yet what do we see? We see the church right now established in every single corner of our world, flourishing And growing in particular parts of the world. Think of Africa, think of Asia in the moment. And the spread of the gospel, the growth of the church. This is the grace and work of God, isn't it? And isn't it a great reason for us this morning to come together and praise him? Because he will establish his city forever. He will build his church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What else can we say but verse 1? Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And if at this point we're thinking, yes, that is great. That is a great reason to praise God. He will generally establish his city, his church. But what about me? What about my security as a Christian in Christ? Well, let me just jump us on to the concluding phrase here that we find in this psalm, in verse 14. If you look there with me, as the psalmist's language speaks to each of us a bit more personally, the psalmist concludes in verse 14 that this is God, our God, forever and ever. And then he writes this, he will guide us forever. And if you've got a a Bible in front of you, you may see there a little uh, footnote that gives us a little tr- more tr- a literal translation here of what that Bible, that verse is. That God will guide us beyond death. That's what the language of the psalm says. That's what's there in the original Hebrew. Even to death, even beyond death, God is our guide. This psalm as a whole, I think, is one that should stabilize us, speak security and hope to us, causing us to praise our God more and more. And nowhere is this more true than in this final little phrase. The same God, you see, who will establish the church right across the world, so he will also establish you. He will establish you right to the very end in Christ. In fact, even beyond the end of what so many in the world consider to be the end anyway, the Lord will be your guide even to death and beyond it. That's the hope and the rock-solid security we can have if we're in Christ this morning, trusting in him, because God has been at work in our lives. 
we are forgiven and death will not be the end. Just as God guided and led his people out of Egypt and through so many other trials and tribulations, so the Lord will personally guide you and lead you, taking you by the hand, not not letting you go until he has brought you safely through the other side of that final enemy of death, bringing you to the new and glorious Jerusalem and into his presence forever. So when you look at the world around you and you feel discouraged or you look in at your own life and your own faith and you begin to have doubts and concerns and anxiety creeps in, here is what this psalm gets you to do. Look up and remember who your God is. Look up and remember, he is the one who will establish his people forever and he is the one who will establish you forever, even beyond death. Verse one, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. We've seen there two reasons to say that, haven't we? Let's think now of the third that, uh, that in him, in our God, from verses 9 to 11, we know a love like no other love. Now, just before we get into the specifics of, of these verses, here, here's a question for you. Um, how do you uh, show love to the people around you? Family, friends. It, In the Farewell household, I probably uh, would most effectively show love to Lydia Grace and Naomi by chasing them around the house and playing pirates and fairies. Um, Or I could show my love to to Heather by taking her for a coffee somewhere. Heather, Heather showed her love to me last night by enduring and sitting through a full Toronto Blue Jays baseball game. See, we can... We can show people we love them in so many different ways, can't we? A gift, practical help. Whatever that may be, these are all good things that we can do. But in all of those actions of love, and our different expressions of it, as we're going to see now, actually they are only a mere reflection. A mere reflection of God's love and his expression of it towards us. Look there at verse 9. We see the psalmist reflecting on this, don't we? He has found the greatest of loves, and he knows it. Verse 9, he deliberately calls to mind God's steadfast love in the midst of the temple. Here he is, remembering, along with other worshippers around him, how God had time and time again demonstrated this abounding love to those who'd gone before blessing and helping his people, even when all he received in return were grumbling and complaints, like the Israelites in the desert. And then in verse 10, we see the psalmist thinking of how God has, by his righteous right hand, won salvation for his people. And how he is, in verse 11, cast judgment, right judgment on God's people's enemies. And yet how he has also shown mercy and not cast that judgment, not cast off his people, but remained faithful to them. This is the steadfast love of our God. 
His chesed, as it is in the Hebrew. This is a covenant love. This is a love that comes with faithfulness. This is a love that comes with salvation. This is a love that comes with justice. And it is a love like no other love in the world around us. That's why I think the psalmist makes this little conclusion in the middle of this section in verse 10. He says, As your name, O God, so your praise reaches to the ends of the earth. See, as God's name spreads to the ends of the earth, there is one sure and certain result of that, that his praise will spread to. As people hear of what he has done, they come to know what he has done for him, them, themselves. They know his love. See, as we compare the name of the Lord God to any other God or to any other revered name through history, we see that there is no comparison here. There is only one name to be truly praised, the name of the Lord who has right through history shown steadfast love to his people. There is no love like the Lord's love. And like we read in Lamentations chapter 3, we would do well to regularly call to mind this steadfast love of the Lord, which never ceases, his mercies, which never come to an end. See, even today there is no love out there like the love of God towards his people. It is a love that will not be turned away from us because of our failures. It's a love that will never let us go It is a love that will not disappoint. It is a love that will surround us, even beyond death. It's a love that demonstrates all those incredible characteristics of God that we've already mentioned. His power, his justice, his wisdom, his mercy. And we see this ultimately in the Lord Jesus. Here's what 1 John chapter 4 says. In this, the love of God was made manifest to us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. As we reflect on that, we can now say for verse 11, can't we? Let the church be glad. Let Christians everywhere rejoice because of God's judgments and his justice. Judgment and justice that has seen Christ take the punishment that we deserve and has seen us receive his righteousness. That as we were thinking about last week, we can know with confidence That in Christ today, God's blessing and favor rests on us. We were saying at the beginning, weren't we, that we can be a forgetful people. Well, here's something to purposefully every single morning remember and say to yourself. Even saying it out loud, it can be a help to do those kind of things. We can say to ourselves, God's steadfast love His steadfast love directed towards me is like no other. God's steadfast love 
directed towards me is like no other. And of course, what do we respond to that? We respond, verse 1, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And in that way, verse 11 would suit the psalm, wouldn't it, quite well as a conclusion. With its call there for God's people everywhere to be glad and rejoice. It would give me a three-point sermon as well, which would be helpful, wouldn't it? But um, it doesn't. That's not where it ends. Look with me. So the psalmist has one more thing to say. Verses 12 to 14. With these same truths about our God that we've just been thinking about in mind, he says this. Listen, those same reasons to come praise God, they're also reasons to go. Go and tell others about our great God too. Read these final verses with me from verse 12. Walk about Zion. Go around her. Number her towers. Consider well her ramparts. Go through her citadels that you may tell the next generation that this is God, our God, forever and ever. He will guide us forever. That is, he will guide us beyond death. Here is the psalmist, again, actively at work, isn't he? Calling things to mind. That is what we see here. He's walking around the city. At first glance, we're looking here, aren't we? And we see the physical protection and strength of Jerusalem. Its walls, its towers, its ramparts. But just as before, the psalmist, I think, is only using these to serve as reminders of the protection and strength offered to God, by God to his people, by God himself. That's, again, the focus here, isn't it? Verse 13, he looks at all of these things, and what's the conclusion? That you may tell the next generation that this is God. Not how mighty the town, the city is, the walls are. No, but how mighty our God is. This is God, our God, forever and ever. The psalmist here, I think, is saying to God's people then and to us today, just stop and take a good look around you. A good look around you at the countless blessings of God towards us as his people. Genuinely, go and count them. Consider them. Take time to walk slowly through them we do that, we will not be disappointed. We've already seen three of these, haven't we? The joy, the security, the love that we as God's people can know and find in our God. But as God's people, the church, Zion today, that list of blessings could run on and on. That's just number four of them now. As we've already said, first, Christ, who today is risen and reigning and communicating all his blessings to those who are his. Second, the Holy Spirit, given to guide us, strengthen us, help us, make us more like Jesus. Third, God's word, living and active. And within God's word, great promises. Promises that we can turn to again and again. Promises like God will never leave us. Or forsake us. Promises that one day he will take us to be with himself forever. Fourth, the church. We have God's 
people here beside us, even this morning, those you're sat beside, that serving God and each other, we can support each other, encourage each other, build each other up, help each other to keep going. That's just four things. The list could go on. I think that's what these verses in this psalm is inviting us to do even this week. Here's something good we can do. Stop and even just take five or ten minutes sometime this week to number, to consider, to walk through all the many ways God is at work for his people more generally and also in your life. As I said earlier, as you begin to do that, I really don't think you're going to be disappointed. You're not going to be short of things to say. But as we close, here's the main response the psalmist then calls us to. As we do this, as we've done that together this morning and walked through these things, here's what we should do. Go and tell about our God to the next generation. Go tell them that this is God, our God, forever and ever. Here's the point. We are a forgetful people. Even we need to stop and remember. Well, how much more then do we need to go and tell? Go and tell and make sure that those who come after us also know and remember God's work for them. That's what we look to do here at church as we, as we meet. It's what we look to do in Sunday school and crash week by week, isn't it? Pass on these same truths that we here are rejoicing in, that we have a great God who is greatly to be praised. And that is what we long and pray that the children right now in Sunday school and crash will, will come to know for themselves too if they haven't already. At this point, just a thanks too, a thanks on behalf of all of the church here to those of you who serve the children of our church in Sunday school or in crash. Your work is so important. But then let me just also say to all of us as a church, do we see this as a priority? We, we have a responsibility here, all of us, As we see more and more children here at the church, it brings great joy, doesn't it? Well, how can we, whatever way we can, interact with the children, when we speak with them, in how we interact with them, show them we have a great God who is greatly to be praised, who will guide us, but who will also, if they will come to him, guide them right the way through their lives. And of course, those of us who are parents here too, how are we regularly telling our children this too? That this is God. Our world will bombard our children with all kinds of messages. Let's make sure if we're parents here that this message is what rings out at home. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And of course, we want all generations to hear this. We want all generations, all people everywhere to know this, that our God can be their God too. So let's all of us take up this call of the psalmist here and get speaking to people. Get speaking to people about the greatness of our God. One of the ways that we've been speaking about doing this is through Hope Explored, 
which is a course running over three Tuesday evenings at the end of May and the beginning of June. I wonder who is it that God has put around you that you can tell the greatness of God to? And maybe then invite them to hear more about that as they come to these evenings. We have a hope, don't we, that with God as our guide, he will guide us even beyond death. And that is the hope, the hope that we want all the world to know, every generation to rejoice in. That is the hope that they need to hear more than anything else. So as we go on from here this week, let's go out rejoicing, praising God. He is great. And having that message on our lips and tell others about him too. Let's pray as we close. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised in the city of our God. Lord God, we praise you this morning. We thank you that as we gather as your people, we have so many reasons to praise you. We thank you that we can find joy and peace in you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we are secure in you and that your church and us as your followers will not be shaken. Lord, we thank you so much that we have hope. And Lord, thank you for your love, your steadfast love that is a love like no other. Lord, would you help us to rejoice, to remember those things and rejoice in them this week? Every morning, Lord, as we wake up, would we have your name on our lips? Would we be saying, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised? And then, Lord, help us to go out and tell others about your greatness too. Help us to be bold. Because, Lord, there is a hope that we have that we long for more and more people in this city to have for themselves too. We pray all these things in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, we're going to uh, close by singing this uh, song, Great is the Lord and Most Worthy of Praise. As, as we sing it, I think you'll see it just picks up on so much of, of what we've been thinking about uh, this morning. So let's respond and praise our God together.
Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.